we're going to continue now with our series on understanding the Old Testament. And this is part four, and the title is Old Testament Shadows and Types. And I'll be explaining what I mean by that. The goal today is for Jesus to open our eyes, to see him in the Old Testament, just like he did with the two disciples that he was on the road to Emmaus with at the end of Luke. So that's our goal. The last three weeks, three weeks ago, we looked at the importance of this subject. Sorry, it was three sermons ago, not three weeks ago. We looked at the importance of this subject. And um, I said, uh, to get the fruits, you have to have the roots. So you've got to have that rootedness in the Old Testament to see the fruit in the new. And then two sermons ago, we looked at creation and just the wonder of creation and how that should that should make us well up with wonder and amazement at the glory of the God that we serve. He is so amazing. And we look at the beauty of creation and that is God. That's how he who he is like. And then last time we looked at the big picture and we saw that the key question at the beginning uh, where Adam and Eve uh, broke God's commandment was, who are you going to serve? Where is your allegiance? And we saw the right the way through this arc of story that ends up with Jesus. This is the question. And then Jesus finally defeats Satan and through the Spirit is able to give us a new heart which will have allegiance to him, which will serve him. So this time, um, our goal was to, is to understand um, this what got the disciples so excited. And we're going to do this in three points. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus, the golden thread, running through the whole of the Old Testament, this golden thread that runs through everything. And then we're going to look at types and shadows and see what they are. And that's like the meat of what we're doing today. And then we're going to look at two examples of types to encourage us. That's like the dessert. So, uh, first of all, let's look at that story with Luke and the two disciples. And they're with Jesus. They're on the road to a mess. They don't recognize it's Jesus right then. And they're really upset because he's died. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then after, he, after he'd gone, we read, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? So they felt that what he taught them actually opened the scripture. And that's what we're going to look at as the meat of what we're doing today. Uh, the, later on, it says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures by, by doing them, doing this with them. So what did he tell them? Well, we talked last time about the promise to Eve that through one of her descendants, Satan would be destroyed. And 
the line from Eve through to Jesus is this golden thread. And this is the story of the Bible. So I've got a very, very simplified version of it here. But we see Eve and then various people up to Noah and then various people up to Abraham and Sarah. And then we have uh, Abraham has two children, Isaac and Ishmael. It's through Isaac that it goes. And then Isaac's got two children, Esau and Jacob, and it's through Jacob that it goes. And it gets more complicated because Jacob has 12 sons, and the 12 sons, uh, one of them is Judah, and Judah is the one through whom um, Jesus is going to come. It's interesting that sometimes we assume that Moses is in that line, but he's not. Moses is actually in the line of Levi. He was one of the priest uh, tribe. But the line from Judah goes down through David, and it's a very, very interesting line. We have, we have Rahab in there. We have Ruth is in that line. We have a number of interesting people who are in that line, and it's lots of stories about how it gets to David. And then we have Solomon, and then we have the kings of Judah, and that gradually goes down until finally we get to Jesus. So that's the, that's the, the outline of the thread. But what happens as you read the stories, you'll see that Satan is, Satan knows that this is the line. He doesn't always know who it's coming through, but he is going to try and make sure that this line is destroyed. I'll give you a couple of examples. So if we go back to, um, as you know, it's in this picture here between Judah and David, of course, we have the whole time in Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, uh, they get to a point where they're just horribly uh, oppressed in slavery. And then Pharaoh decides he wants to kill them all. He wants to actually have a holocaust. Um, And he's going to do it by actually killing the baby boys. And he decrees that all male children would be thrown into the river. They would be, they'd be de- de- killed. And um, the uh, we know the story of Moses, how he was saved from that. But that was an attempt, I believe, not by Pharaoh, but by the force behind Pharaoh. He just knew that one of this one of this nation of Israel was due to be the Messiah. So why not take them all out? So you have this attack on the the entire nation. Well, later on, much later on, we see a similar story. Remember the wise men came to Jerusalem and they said to Herod, you know, we've come to find the one who's going to be king of the Jews and uh, they determine it's going to be in Bethlehem and uh, they visit Jesus in Bethlehem. But then after they leave, there's a, a dream that Joseph and Mary have to leave and go to Egypt, which they do. They escape. But Herod, or actually the evil force behind Herod, decides to kill every male child in Bethlehem. And we have this horrific massacre of every child under two destroyed at this time. As as the line, the, the descendants of Eve are being attacked by the serpent, by the evil one. Well, those are just two stories. Those are very 
big, broad attacks, but there are very refined attacks as well. I mean, David and Goliath is, is one of the examples of this conflict, although David, in fact, is taken on Goliath at that point, but it's the same conflict that's right the way through. And uh, we can, hopefully in future weeks, we'll see some of these things. So this is the golden thread, the line of Jesus that goes through. And so that's how I briefly wanted to to start this morning. But what I want to, to talk about now uh, is to move on to types and shadows, and then to end with the two examples of types to encourage us. So types and shadows. Um, the idea of a type. So what does what does this mean? Well, Paul uses the word typos, which is a Greek word for making an impression. To make an impression, just a little bit like a typewriter makes an impression. So you have these metal um, shapes which hit the paper and they leave a, a mark on the paper with a, with a ribbon. They, they make a black mark on the paper and they just make this impression. And the idea of the Greek word is that you get something which kind of leaves a um, an impression. And really what it is, it's saying that Jesus has left his impression right the way through all of the stories of the Old Testament. Those are, they are all types of Jesus. They're impressions of Jesus. Not just Jesus, but other things there are types of in the Old Testament. So I'm going to use the word type. I'm afraid it's a technical, it's a theological term, but I'm going to use it because um, you'll, you'll find it in other places, very, very widely used. And so it's the word that the Bible uses, but it's also widely used. And so I think as long as we know what we mean by that, we can talk about types. Sometimes the word typology is used to describe the whole um, understanding of how this works. So uh, let's just look at an example of what this might look like. Example of a type in John 3. Um Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus is using, is saying the serpent is a type of him. It's like an impression. Uh, his, his, what his work is impressed into that part of history. So what does that actually mean? Well, when the Israelites were being attacked by these deadly serpents, then God said to Moses, make a shape of the serpent in brass, nail it to a pole, lift it up. And if anybody looks at that serpent, just looking at that, they will be saved. They'll be healed. They won't die. And so what Jesus is saying is this is actually a picture of me. So another word for type would be picture. It's just a picture. It's kind of symbolic of what happened to me. So this, this, um, being nailed to a to a, a stake, lifted up, um, is picture of Jesus being nailed to the cross and lifted up. It brought salvation by faith. Jesus' death brings salvation by faith. So, one of the words then the Bible uses is type. Another one that it uses is shadow. So, um, oh, I've got that verse. So that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. So shadow. And in um, in Hebrews, speaking of the priests in the tabernacle, 
it says in Hebrews 8 verse 5, the place where they serve, in other words, the tabernacle, is a sketch and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's very simply, the true place of God's presence is in the spiritual realm. But this is a representative picture for us. So the Old Testament tabernacle where the priests were serving weren't the ultimate like, place of God's presence. It was like a sketch. It was a, a shadow of the true reality where God, in, in, the, in the heavenly places where God is dwelling. And so I like the idea of sketch as well, because that's like representing something, sketching it out. Shadow means it's not the reality, but it's like you can see aspects of the reality by looking at the shadow. So those are the words that are used there. And so um, and you can see the Old Testament laws had a lot of symbolism in them. A lot of the things that they did in their law pictured um Jesus Christ. And this is picked up in Colossians 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast, new moon or or Sabbath days. What he's saying, he's talking to people who are not, who are no longer keeping the Old Testament laws because they can see that these laws about what you eat, what you wear, about the celebrations, those things are actually types of Jesus. They're shadows of Jesus. And he says, these are only the shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. So I love that. So verse 17 is so clear. All of the Old Testament symbolism contained in the sacrifices and everything is a shadow, but the reality is Jesus Christ. So in a nutshell, that's what typology is. That's what types are. And um, to flesh that out, I'm going to give you some more examples. The Passover is a type of our salvation. Remember when Israel were in slavery in Egypt and um, there were the plagues and just before they were going to leave Egypt, God said to them, if you celebrate this this meal where you, where you eat a lamb and you put the the, la- the blood of the lamb on the doorway to show that there has been this lamb has been killed, then I will actually pass over you and you will be free, and because the blood has already been shed, and as a result of that, they then were able to escape from Egypt. So. Um, the, the New Testament teaches us that this Passover, this, this, um, substitution of the lamb died instead of them dying, instead of the firstborn dying, was a picture of Jesus dying in our place. And in fact, the whole of that event with coming out of slavery into freedom was a, was a picture of Jesus and his salvation for us. And we could go into more detail, and we will do when we get to that in the story. The manna in the wilderness. Jesus tells them that this supernatural feeding, he says, feed on me. I'm the true manna. That was a picture of me. Um, the crossing of the Israelites through the Red Sea, and actually, First Corinthians tells us that was actually a picture of salvation and being baptized into the Holy Spirit. So that's very rich, this whole coming out of Egypt, 
is very rich. And then we have the promised land we've given as a picture of heaven in Hebrews 3 and through to Hebrews 4. So it's, um, this is, this is the picture language that's been used in these events. These events are types of future. Elijah is a picture, a type of John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus tells us that. He's a, he's the, the one who points forward to the coming savior. David is a type of Jesus. Acts tells us that. He's the king, just like Jesus was the king. He actually brought peace. He destroyed for, 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 uh, centuries. Israel had been, um, downtrodden by the enemies and he finally brought peace and destroyed and, and, and won peace for Israel and their, their enemies were no longer attacked them. He actually brought them to a place of peace because he was, uh, and, and Jesus is a picture of that king who just brings us to peace and triumphs over our enemies. Abraham and Sarah, types of Christians who are saved by faith. They are pictures of us and they, they, uh, Abraham's faith, he's called the father of all who believe because of the way um, his, his faith um, pictured our faith. Rahab, um, in, in uh, James, it, 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 it points out Rahab is a Christian who works out their faith in practice. It's not just a kind of an intellectual faith, but it's a faith that is worked out in practice. And she is pointing towards that. And so, these are some pictures, some types of uh, that in the Bible. This is just a few of them. Uh, so this raises the question then, of course, how do we know if something is a valid type? Can we make things up? Can we just invent anything we like that looks like it's a type and, and call it one? Well, notice in my slide there, I've got scripture references after every single one. And that's actually important because generally speaking, the those references, those are New Testament references, and the Holy Spirit could show the New Testament writers authoritatively which were the pictures. Now, some of these were actually just general categories which we can legitimately follow, and I'll come on to that in a minute. But um, uh, there, uh, there was a problem in the early church of uncontrolled allegory. Allegory is when you just spontaneously connect something with something else and say, well, this is a picture of this. Um, and this caused chaos in the early days of Christianity. So I can give you an example of what I mean by this. So remember, um, Abraham uh, had uh, Sarah and she gave birth to Isaac and uh, they, you know, he became the father of the, the, the nation. Well, what you might not have noticed was at the end of the story, Sarah dies before Abraham does, and he takes another wife. He takes another, and actually has other children, but they're not parallel to, they're not, they're never, um, inheritors of the promises. Um, so, uh, in Genesis 21, we read verse one, sorry, Genesis 25 verse one. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. So I don't think it's got any special significance. I mean, he, Sarah had died. It was quite fine for him to do that. The main point is, is that these other children were not 
on a level with Isaac in terms of promise. That's what the passage is saying. But one of the early church um, fathers in the first few centuries of the church uh, did something very typical. He tried to make something spiritual out of everything. And he said, Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. That means that Abraham took on a virtue. There are lots of virtues like kindness, mercy, um, uh, unselfishness. And Keturah represents one of these mercies. And so you have to marry mercies in your life. You've got to marry lots of different, sorry, you've got to marry uh, virtues, lots of different virtues. So he turned this into a, just an allegory. Now, the problem with that, he wasn't saying anything that was heretical. The problem was that um, there's no discipline. Once you start doing this, you can make any scripture say anything. It gets completely out of control. And unfortunately, this is what happened in the early in the early centuries of the church after the time of the apostles. And they could derive any teaching they wanted to by finding some sort of picture in the Old Testament and applying it. And um, a spiritual meaning in everything only limited by their imagination. And um, it wasn't until the time of the Reformation that people really came back to understand, no, you can't do that. You've got to actually, um, if you're going to say the Bible has authority, you've got to actually listen to what it's saying and not invent your own ideas and add them in. So what is legitimate then? How can we legitimately see types in the scriptures? Um, well, first of all, New Testament quotations from the Old where a type is seen. And actually, there are large numbers of this. There are, there are, this, there are, there are vast numbers of quotations of the Old Testament in the New. You read someone like Matthew, he's quoting the whole time from the Old. And, uh, but not only the actual quotations, but the category of the quotation. So, for example, anything to do with the line from Eve to Jesus coming under attack. We know in principle that that fits in with the promise to Eve about this this conflict, which her descendant would eventually win. So we can see lots of examples of that, which we, we're given, like that is a category of type, which is legitimate. Um, another thing would be certain individuals like David. So we know that David is a picture of Jesus. He's the Messiah. Jesus is called the son of David. Lots of things like that. But also, so many Psalms of David, Jesus quoted as pointing to him. Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? It says not a bone of his was broken. Um, he had one about Judas betraying him. And lots of other places where there were Psalms which David is experiencing something. He writes a psalm, and that experience is actually taken up by Jesus as being um, prophetic of him. So it seems that David's whole life was prophetic of Jesus in many ways. And other people like Elijah and so on who were prophetic. Um, another whole category would be the whole system of sacrifices, which the New Testament tells us were pictures of Jesus. And we can go into some of the details and see that. You know, we can see the lamb as, and we'll come on to that in a minute, but we can see the lamb as Jesus as the lamb of God. And we can see many, many other things in the system. For example, priests 
the book of Hebrews spends some time showing us how the priesthood of Jesus is pictured in the Old Testament priest imagery. And so that whole system of, of the law in, and the, the giving of the law that Moses gave is, is, um, very rich in pictures of Jesus. And then, of course, um, many of the prophets are speaking about Jesus, and that's usually absolutely self-evident. We'll see that in just a minute. So one other thing, I would say that occasionally there is something that is so absolutely clearly pointing to Jesus that even though it's not explicitly listed in the New Testament, you can't have any doubt. So one example would be Joseph, who sold for, I think, 20 pieces of silver. Um, he actually like has an experience where he's falsely accused, he's punished, he's thrown into the dungeon, and um, then he actually saves his people. He's exalted, he has like this resurrection type thing where he then is ruling, and he saves his people who come to him. So there's a whole mass of parallels between Joseph and Jesus, which are not explicitly there, but I would say he's a type because there are so many of these parallels. So um, that, that's that's how I would sum that up. And um, you know, I would, if you're interested in learning more about that, I would be glad to to talk to you about it. So uh, let's let's look then at where we've got to. We've looked at Jesus, the golden thread, and how his line runs right the way through from Eve. And now we've just been looking at types and shadows and what they are and what the Bible says about them and how they, they really are what brings the Old Testament to light, to life in the new. It's the way the New Testament is rooted in the old. And now we're going to look at two examples of types to encourage and to bless us. So, John the Baptist, in Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, on the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's an interesting way of describing Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's something new. It was the Spirit that revealed that name to John. But of course, it is an incredibly rich name. And it shows that he understood that the imagery of the sacrifices was to point to Jesus. Because, you know, the Passover sacrifice was a lamb. And I'm sure when Jesus was explaining all of this to the disciples on the road, he would have taken them to Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by people. One who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. 
because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path. But the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and it continues, describing Jesus for the rest of the chapter. And what this is doing in this beautiful way is not just explaining Jesus' death in a way that's just about unparalleled in the rest of the scripture, but it's seeing um, in this poetic way how Jesus connects to the Old Testament sacrificial system. He, They sacrificed lambs, but that lamb didn't actually save them. That was a picture of the Lamb of God who would actually take their sins upon him. So in this beautiful way, um, we have the our salvation explained so clearly. And you notice that it's not about what we've done and how good we are. In fact, like verse 6, all of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had gone on his own path. Um, he was the lamb. He carried our sicknesses. And verse verse 5 ends by saying, he endured punishment that made us well because of his wounds we have been healed. And that the word that theologians use for this is atonement, but it's substitutionary atonement. It, he's a substitute for us. Just like in some sports area, somebody is, is not able to play and someone else goes out as a substitute for them. Playing instead in their place, Jesus was a substitute. And so this is beautifully put in this passage in Isaiah, showing that the imagery of the Lamb in this Old Testament sacrifice is pointing to us. I find Isaiah 53 such a rich and encouraging passage. But I'm going to give you one more before we close. And this is a little bit surprising. It's a little bit of a twist. Um, God promised to Abraham and Sarah that through their descendants, the whole of the earth would be blessed. Now, in Isaiah's time, it didn't look like this was going to happen. It didn't look like Israel as a nation was going to um, be the whole the bless a blessing to the whole earth. I mean, not only had they were they worshiping idols, but their just the level of injustice that was going on, and it was so such a horrible mess that they got into, and they were not representing God at all well. In fact, it was getting worse and worse. But God promised it would happen. And um, so we look at this, and then when we finish reading, I'm going to tell you the surprising bit. Um, Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I support, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I've placed my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make it heard in the street. Uh, what that means is really that it's not, he's not like, I mean, just raucously, um, in an unpleasant way, screaming stuff out. He's going to do it in a gentle way. So gentle that a crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not, will not extinguish. 
he will faithfully make just decrees. He will not grow faint or be discouraged before establishing justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait in anticipation for his decrees. Decrees or judgments, it's uh, difficult to translate that. This is what the true God, the Lord says, the one who created the sky and stretched it out, the one who fashioned the earth and everything that lives on it, the one who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who live on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I take hold of your hand. I protect you and make you a covenant for the people and a light for the nations to open blind eyes, to release prisoners from dungeons, from the prison those who sit in darkness. And it continues. But um, this story, this prophecy, doesn't end with Jesus. As we carefully look at what Isaiah is saying, and we look at how the typology is working in this passage, we see that actually we are also prophesied in this, that we are to continue the role of Jesus that just as Abraham's descendant was to bless, to be a blessing to the nations in Jesus, it was actually not just Jesus, but his people. And so we are actually involved in typology, this type of us here. And I'm going to read this back through again with, with, with you in it and me in it. Here is my servant, you and I, whom I support, my chosen one, that's us, in whom my soul delights. He delights in us. His God's soul delights in us. He's placed his spirit on us. We will bring forth justice to the nations. We will not cry out or shout or make it heard in the street. A crushed reed we won't break. A dim wick we will not extinguish. But we will faithfully make just decrees. We will not grow faint or be discouraged before establishing justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait in anticipation. And I think that is actually for Jesus' decrees. But um, this is what the true God, the Lord, says. The one who created the sky and stretched it out. The one who fashioned the earth and everything that lives on it. The one who gives breath to the people on it. And to life life to those who live on it. I, the Lord, have called us. In righteousness, he takes hold of our hand. He protects us and makes us a covenant for the people and a light for the nations to open blind eyes, to release prisoners from dungeons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So this is your calling. Your calling is to to carry the mantle of Jesus, to continue the work that Jesus began, and to bring freedom to the oppressed in the most beautiful and gentle way, to bring uh, life to people and to bring light to people who are in darkness, to release the prisoners from dungeons. Um, I just think it's so exciting to see how you and I are part of this picture. And as we begin to unwrap what's going on in the Old Testament, we see it doesn't just end in Jesus, but actually it blossoms out into all his people and his eternal purposes. So I want to end by saying that we are a key part. You and I are key parts 
of God's plan for this universe. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, God, for the richness of what we learn through the stories you've given us in the Old Testament. Help us to see the beauty of what you promised, the power of the imagery, and to see what Jesus has really done for us and what he is calling us to do for him in the future as you unwrap the last phase of your plans for this world. We thank you, God. Please captivate us and excite us with this big story as we see how we are part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.